Hi, welcome to Today's Agent. I'm Ted. And I'm Andrew Willette. And we're here to talk to you about real estate. This would be the first edition of Today's Agent. Um, our goal, other than just talking to you about real estate agent, is to, as per the name, give you an insight onto what the modern Today's Agent is uh, thinking about focusing on, um, giving you insights into where the industry is at, and a real estate agent's perspective on that. We're going to be interviewing uh, lots of other agents, people in the industry, even down to your local person from Home Depot on what renovations people are doing and, and what he sees um, in, in the purchasing. So it should be great information for clients, aspiring realtors, and fellow realtors alike. I miss anything? I think you pretty much covered it all. Um, today we're going to be talking about uh, branding. We have Mr. Jean Richet going to be joining us a little bit later to talk about how he's managed to use his red Jeep to help brand himself. Uh, he's got a lot of great ideas around that, and we'll try to expand into um, how you need to figure out what your target market is, and basically a little bit of marketing 101. Um, you know, give some insight into how you are so that people have something to latch on and understanding who you, the authentic person is there, but it's also at the same time you're really taking into account who you're trying to appeal to. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit today about uh, the potential liberal real estate plan. Uh, we'll touch on a few topics that they're trying to do. I, I think the big one that I wanted to talk about was the getting rid of blind bidding for open bidding and how they think that that would benefit to bringing, the, bringing prices down where I'm not sure that's how it would work. Well, I think that's a very interesting topic because I bet you if we had 10 different realtors in here, we'd have 10 different bits of insight into what a realtor is thinking around those topics. So I think that's great. So, Ted, the, uh, the Liberals and their new housing plan, I'm not sure if you're an expert on it, but I certainly don't think I am. That being said, um, there's, a, there's a lot of very different components to it, um, and frankly, I'm not sure it's going to find the majority of them aren't going to just address any of the needs, um, and I think the biggest topic that we want to talk about is, is blind bidding. Um, so I just wanted to take back to Trudeau's, a quote that Trudeau made about having to, you, you shouldn't have to move far away from your job or work in order to be able to afford your home, or how you shouldn't lose your home to speculators. It was two of the oft-quoted um, things that Trudeau said in his speech when they were announcing their plan. And to me, I don't know, there's nothing that's going to address how you shouldn't lose your home to speculators. Because there's no way blind bidding is going to have any effect on that. In fact, in my personal opinion, I think the blind bidding will actually help the speculators. Sorry, transparent bidding will actually help speculators even more. Um, and then having to move far away from job or work, to me that's an overall house affordability issue, which, um, which really comes down to, in my opinion, uh, supply. It, it, supply. It's also what the market is is driving like as much as people think realtors set prices and are driving the prices going up 
it's it's like you said it's supply is what's really making the difference when somebody goes out to look for a house and there's only two houses to choose from but there's 20 buyers looking at those two houses those two houses are going to sell for a lot more uh, and what's happening as well which driving the the low uh, the the low number of houses for sale is a lot of people because of this are not putting their house up for sale until they found something because they don't want to end up stuck. I find that, you know, to go back to what you just said, uh, realtors are driving up the pricing to housing. I'd love to know how and in what way a realtor is even able to drive up the pricing and housing. So let's, let's role play that for 30 seconds. Okay. You, you being the client and me being the agent. Um, when I am in a situation where I'm going into multiple offers, what I explain to my clients is really quite simple. First off, we're going to show all the comparables and all the homes um, that are pricing that, and what they're priced at and what they've gone for. Um, and then we're going to have a discussion of what we think it might go for. But most importantly, we're going to have a discussion about their budget. And the main sentence that I'm going to use is you're going to have to go in with your best foot forward because you're not typically not going to get a second shot at it. And now me being the buyer's agent, it's my job to make sure that you're, you're paying what you're comfortable paying for. So I'm actually trying to keep the price as low as possible for you, right? Now the listing agent, it's their job to try to get the price as high as possible. So we can't critique the listing agent for doing whatever strategies they're going to do to try to maximize the price. But what my sentence to you is, what is the most you're willing to spend where you'll be thrilled if you win this house and where if someone else bids a little bit beyond that, you're okay because you didn't want to spend that anyways? That's my question. That's where my comfort the level is. The walkaway price. The walkaway price, yeah. yeah. What price do you are you happy because you walked away and you didn't want to pay that anyways? And that's the conversation I'm having with an educated client who I have educated by showing them a whole bunch of comparables over the last little while. And that's my job. Is, is that yeah. how you would handle that as well? Bas basically exactly the same. The, the only thing I would add is um, the market does dictate, uh, again, showing the comparables does that, but in, in, a, in the market that we've had lately, you could have comparables from a month ago and they're completely irrelevant uh, to what the prices are going to be today. I mean, it's slowed down a bit right now, but what it has been for the past few months so a that's, lot of it was... That's just one more step in the education process. Exactly, like, yeah. Like if you showed, okay, this is where we were in March and they've gone up this this much now that we're in June and here we're in August and you could see that same trend line, you have that graph, et cetera, exactly. where prices are going. So if here are the comparables there, then we need to be adding this much more to be where the comparables in the market is now. Exactly. So it, the, yeah, the, so the extra step that I add is I is basically explaining, again, like you said, how the prices are increasing. So you might have looked at a house in this neighborhood a month ago and it sold for 400000 but over that month, prices have been climbing steadily across Ottawa. Across the city, and, yeah. and so it, it's explaining to them how also, like you said, you have to go in with your best foot forward, but you have to be ready to walk away. You have to be ready to say, I can't go any higher than that. If you're, if you're at your best price and there's four offers and then before the offers are, are read, they're up to 13, 14 offers, well, your best price probably isn't quite enough yet, but it still has to stay as your best price or you end up overpaying for what you're comfortable with. So it's, it's having that conversation with them so they know basically ahead of the offers even being presented 
what the situation could entail. So the other thing that I'd say, I'd like to say is how often agents are like, okay, well, I have to, you know, my clients are going to lose one or two multiple offer situations before they're going to be ready and not so gun shy in order to really go after the home that they want. And we're going in, you're going into most of your relationships with that. There, you know, there's, there's an, there's a level of aggression that every realtor has, and some might be a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more pushy to help them win on their first or, or second go. Um, and, and, and I'm not going to really critique you on strategies, but I, I know myself, I would inform them where I thought they would go, and then I'd ask them where they're comfortable. I'd tell them where I thought think it was going to win, and sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. But, but usually they were quite a bit lower than that on their first and their two, and I'm, I'm, I'm supportive. I'm like, well, let's cross our fingers, let's hope, let's hope. And then they're going to lose one or two, and then by the third they're willing to you know, listen to my suggestion. And then we still might lose one or two because... I'm not going way out there in, in order for them to try to win. You, you, you want to make sure that whenever you're telling them what it's going to go for, it's your you're, credibility you're, on the you're not just saying what it could go for. You're saying what it, what it max should go for. Uh, like whenever I'm, whenever I'm telling I don't know people about max should, because not, I, not really. Yeah, yeah. Not max should, but you, what I'm, what your expectations are. Yeah. Of like, where it would go. If you're going to pay this price, and the market changes and it say flattens out and goes to a more uh more normal market if you're if you're over if you're overbidding by quite a bit you want to make sure that they know that 5 years before you might your house might uh have gained value so or 10 years like depending on you so you're going to talk to their future plans their motivation etc of how long are they planning on staying exactly. in that house in order exactly yes. because what what happened what i've had experiences where they go in and they're bidding at that price that i recommend and then you have one of those outlier bids that comes in and outbids them by 150,000 and there was nothing even close to that outlier bid you were right in the range of where it should have been but there's an outlier bid that's coming, and now they they start either getting disheartened, saying, "Oh, well, we're never going to be able to win because people are just coming in," and so it's it's setting the expectations that you don't have to do that to win. They don't; those offers aren't on every house, and if you do bid like that, you might be 10, 15 years before you make a profit up. on your on your house. Um, so yeah, it's it's just. Yeah, setting expectations so, and managing. While we still have that scenario out, let's talk about how that might look with an open bid versus a, a closed bid scenario, right? Because that's the exact, that piece of advice is key. Now, if that was an open bid scenario, okay, you might have seen someone bid higher and higher and higher out of their comfort level against that speculator who's coming in maybe from Toronto where the house prices, everything seems cheap to them here in Ottawa. And they might actually spend way more than what they should because they're in that competitive spot going after the house. And they haven't quite learned yet that there is a, a you know, a hundred thousand dollars over asking on every house. You know what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes they're only 50, sometimes they're 200. So don't get caught up in that home. You have to understand, oh, it's okay to lose. You, you're there over your walkaway price. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. You'll get it eventually. And, and like you said, whenever, whenever you're in a, an open bid, it's a lot easier to say, oh, well, my max is 450,000. And then the bid goes up to 455 and you're like, well, we can float. We can float four hundred and sixty. 
And then it goes up to 475 and you're like, <sighs> Uncle Joe, he'll give me an extra yeah. 10, you know? So it, so go, it's very easy to keep pushing it past what it should. And if everybody's doing that, it drives prices up. Like what, what the open bidding process would probably help with is the people who come in and bid 150,000 above everybody else because they will see that they don't have to go that high. So those would probably come down. To bring but, the outliers down, but the but overall the average mean, would, let's say, would, would probably go up. be even higher. I agree with that completely. I, I actually think that all you're doing is helping out the rich in that open well, bidding process as opposed to the blind bidding process. Even though it's the middle class that feels like they're getting ripped off right now, I actually think the open bidding process will be even harder for them. Well, because also you have to think the speculators, they're looking at, uh, they're looking at the houses and they're bidding 150,000 higher than what the next closest bid is. Where now, if they're not doing the open bid, they, they only bid 10,000 higher than the, the best other offer. And now they have 140,000 to put on another house. Yeah. So Great now, now they're buying two houses instead of one. Uh, it, it, so it, it just, I feel it, it would make it harder for the average buyer and harder harder on their pocketbook i yeah. agree um maybe a little bit easier psychologically <laughs> yeah the stress level could could go down because you know the, the biggest stress whenever you're dealing with offers going 60 100 120,000 over asking is i'm putting in an offer at 100,000 over asking what if the next best offer is only 40,000 over asking and i just put down an extra 60 yeah. that's stressful Odds are, if, if, if you're being recommended to bid at 100000 over asking, it's probably going to go there. Um, but it's, it's stressful nice no matter know. what. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as, as an agent, I don't, have, I don't have my money on the line with my clients, but I'm just as stressed as they are on every offer that I put in. It can be, it can be real rough some, some nights whenever you're, you're supposed to be doing offers at 6 and it's now 8.30 and there's, there was four offers whenever you got it in and now there's 24 offers and it can it can make for a rough night i saw some commentary on um, some blogs and various things about how the uh, real estate industry aka the ontario real estate association the canadian real estate association etc um, opinion is just protecting um, their their constituents aka realtors and obviously korea and aria have been stating that they feel that the um, the blind bidding process is, is better than the open bidding process for the most part, I'd say. Um, personally, being someone who sat on the auto real estate board and been part of organized real estate, I don't believe that is the case. The, the thing is, we all just have opinions and just like anybody, we know what we know and we do think change is always scary. So like, I'm not opposed to reform and um, having an open bidding process along with a closed bidding process. In fact, in a lot of ways, I think it would be a lot better because it would give options for the buyers and sellers. And uh, the big thing is whose decision is it? And you would think it's going to be the person selling their home. Okay. And therefore, um, it's still going to drive prices up whichever way they think they're going to get the best price for their home. So if I'm going to do open bidding, then, um, and I think that's going to be the best way for me to get the best value for my home, then I'll do open bidding. And if I'm going to do a blind bidding process, and I think that's going to be the best to drive the price of for my house, that's, that's the one that the seller's going to do. So I don't see how that's fixing 
the main issue that we have to give options to force it to be an open bidding process, I think is, um, you know, taking the rights out of the seller on how to sell their home. Now, that being said, we've already taken those rights out by making it have to be a blind bidding process and not allowing it to be open bidding process with a caveat. I mean, you can do an open bidding process right now through an auction house. And we actually have um, an an auction house, essentially, um, using online services in Ottawa right now that's really challenging the market um, because they're acting like a realtor even though they're an auction house, um, basically, and not having to follow all the rules that the realtors have to follow, which is causing a lot of um, disruptions and arms because the realtors would love to be able to offer, whether we think it's right or wrong, open bidding, and we're not allowed. And now you have someone who's using our MLS system, using all of the realtors' developed technologies and systems, um, but is acting like an op- um, auction house outside of our outside of our our rules and our regulations. Um, any and thoughts I on mean, that? Our rules and regulations are meant to protect buyers and sellers. They're like, I mean, some stuff helps protect us as well, but it's mostly to help protect the buyers and sellers. Uh, so. By yeah, by not allowing uh, the open bidding, it does allow for the third party to come in where they don't have to necessarily follow those rules and restrictions that we follow that are there, there to, to protect help the protect the consumer. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I, I again, I think that as a whole, uh, open bidding as your only method is going to drive up prices. But I I I do agree that there should be options. Um, I, I think that in the end, having uh, consumers be able to choose how they want to do things would be a good way of doing it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you covered it pretty good. though. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't get to my hockey analogy. But I think we've kind of covered this, but uh, like I just look at um, my ho- hockey draft for my fantasy hockey team and you know, I go in with who I want to target and what I think they're worth. And I tell myself I'm not going to spend more than that. And then, you know, I get over what I said I was going to spend because I don't want to lose out on that particular target. So, um, you know, it's a very simple analogy where there's zero stakes on the line other than pride. Yet I could tell you if it was a blind bidding process, um, I would probably end up with, all, you know, um, paying a lot less but having less quality players. There's a few other... Um, there's a few other things in that. Yeah, well, yeah, some of the things that were brought up that by uh, the liberal um, plan was. Um, well, and some of them, too, I, like, I've heard a lot of things. Like One of them was uh, agents are going to have to disclose when they're working both sides of a deal. And we do now. That's something we do now. And so I, I've told people, I'm like, I, don't, I can't speak for other provinces. I don't know the real estate uh, regulations in... British Columbia, or I know Quebec has a lot of different rules than we do. So Civil law. So I had to explain to some people, it's like, oh, no, Ontario already has those rules. Um, The the Ontario board follows that. So that could be something they're just trying to regulate across the country to have the same standards across the country. But there there are things that they're bringing up that are very valid. Like, that should be something that's done. Uh, Letting somebody know that you're working both sides of the deal. That, That, I mean... That should be done. Yeah. Um, and it is here. So I, I have no problem with anything like that. But yeah, there are a few things in there that are already standards in some places and aren't in others. 
So in, 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 let's do a, a few quick highlights here. So first time uh, buyer's credit from $5,000 to $10,000. I absolutely think that's a great idea. Help affordability on a focused group in first time home buyers. Um, first time home savings account up to $40,000 where you can put that in like your your savings account and not have it taxed at your income like an, like an RRSP type thing now and then take it out and put it towards a down payment without having to pay income taxes on it. That's my understanding of that. Love it. I think that's great. And I mean, that's already a plan that you can do with your RRSPs. They've just expanded it. Expanded it, exactly. Um, slash mortgage in insurance rates by 25%. Um, I don't understand how that's going to, I mean, that's going to, help everybody anybody who needs mortgage insurance that's going to help a lot of people as far as affordability um and um i would think that that's going to help you know investors and speculators and stuff like that as well so um again you're affecting demand on that probably creating more demand which is probably you know while it's easier for us to afford in one sense i think it's going to continue to drive prices up so i'd, I'd need to dig into that a lot more to give you my opinion on where that stands um here's some of the ones that i found confusing uh four billion dollars to create middle class homes program and somehow it's supposed to crack down on vacant land speculators um so i like that we're finally addressing supply this is the really the first one that addresses supply instead of demand but four billion dollars is, is a lot of money with for me not much understanding on on how they're going to do that um it, it, this is much more clear on 2.7 which is less than the 4 billion to build and repair more affordable homes uh, aka convert empty office space into housing love that i think that, that's that, absolutely huge and right that's now. a big one right now because there's so much empty office space that happened due to the pandemic yeah a lot of people have realized my workers can work from home i don't need three floors in this building i can do with one yeah so. Yeah, I think that's great. And that's the first one of the ones that kind of addresses the ha don't have to move far away from your job slash work, yep. right? I mean, Ottawa's city plan for the last bit has last five years or so at least has been about intensification in the city yeah. and uh, allowing carriage homes, allowing all kinds of stuff like that. The other part of that plan was to um, some sort of a tax credit to help create generational homes. So allowing you to add a secondary uh, dwelling to your homes. Again, I love that. I love the carriage plan um, stuff. Um, you know, and then you flip to the conservatives plan for a second and they were, they were really talking about um, incentivizing builders to build more and to help add more uh, rental properties and all that stuff. And you, they got criticized by the, the liberals because you're just making the rich richer rich, right? And I understand that point, yet at the same time, really that's where we're at is we need to get more people, more homes, and increase supply in one way or another. And it's also uh, some of the regulations for the builders on how much they can build. It's like making that a little bit easier for them to be able to build, um, having to, when, when there's demand for uh, a neighborhood, but you're having to wait three, four years because they have to go through a certain number of houses at a time, even though they could potentially be doing more and they have the demand for it. Mm -hmm. They're now having to have people sit where they could be creating jobs, uh, creating homes, and it's just regulations that slow it down. So like if they are incentivized to build on some sort of, I have no idea, uh, sliding scale, a less expensive home versus the more expensive home, yeah. 
um, and then they get some sort of a, a buffer, a credit, a something for the amount of homes that they're selling in that price range to make them build more that price range home instead of more the other price range home. Um, you, you know, you have to make it worthwhile for them. So yes, you're potentially putting more money in their pockets, but at least you're incentivizing them to build the kind of homes that that uh, are affordable. Yeah. Were there any more points? Well, the big the big one is uh, talking about bringing the criminal code into into how they're going to enforce it, right? Because housing is typically a provincial matter, and here we have a federal government because housing is a huge issue right across the country, um, and they are trying to get elected. They all had to have a housing plan, even though it's a pr provincial matter. And the only real way um, for federal governments to enforce their plan is through the criminal code, because otherwise it's a provincial jurisdiction, right? Um how long have realtors been asking for stiffer, harsher penalties for the outlying realtors who really don't follow our rules and give the, the general real estate agent a, a bad name? Um, mind you, I didn't really expect to, to be uh, putting them in the clink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I mean, I, there's so many times where things happen and I'm just like, and I, I'm just shaking my head. It's like, this is why people, why realtors have a bad name is things like this. They should be going after them and they should be fining them or in some cases taking their license away. I, did, I, I never really got to the throw them in throw jail. Them in clink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now that being said, uh, I'll still say I, I'm not, you know, if the offense is bad enough where you have yeah. destroyed a family for whatever reason and it, and it could be considered criminal, then I'm, o sure. I'm okay I mean, with that. But and I, th I feel like a lot of those would have been covered under like fraud or exactly. other other criminal that matters that already. But I would I would have thought so too. Yeah. But but anyways, apparently uh, somehow they're going to use that around my from from the articles and the research that I'm doing about around the blind breeding process, which really doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. Yeah. But, uh, all right, so well, we'll probably never get to there because they'll be talking with the provinces and oh, yeah. figure out it's a different way. Half the things they want to do aren't going to happen, and half the things they wanted that they should do will never happen as well. <laughs> so there, there's my perspective and, I, and your perspective on uh, the liberal, the liberals' plan. Let's shift gears and get John in here. Yeah, let's go for something a little bit more uh, light. All right, sounds good. <laughs> Marketing. So welcome, Jean Richet. How are you? Very good, thanks. How are you? I'm very good. Or as Siri knows you in my phone, Gene Richer. Yes, that is the only way to reach me with Siri. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you're our first guest on the podcast. How do, right. how, how do you feel about that? I feel great. That's what I have to uh, live up to the expectations. <laughs> well, I, you get to set the expectations. Oh, really. there you go. You're setting the bar <laughs> here, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the second person that comes on that should be really nervous, right? Yeah. Um, so how long have you been a realtor for, John? I've been licensed for about uh, almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. Yep. Okay. And uh, we, we are hoping to chat with you about branding today um, because of your uh, Jorkman, the name of your Jeep, who obviously is making um, presence all through social media and everything. And you just launched a new uh, spot, the Jeep around auto. Tell us about that and how that's going. Yeah, so basically what we're doing is just, again, just to bring awareness, to have a little bit of fun. Uh, you know, during these COVID times, people are very, could, could be stressful or could be having a hard time. So we're just having a, a little bit of a fun with it. It's, uh, 
if you see the Jeep somewhere, uh, just let me know. And then what we do is we have a contest uh, to push out, uh, you know, somebody is going to win a dinner for two once a month. And all you got to do is go to spotthejeep.com, uh, submit your name, your phone number, your email address, and at the end of the month, we'll just do a fun draw to uh, have a little bit of fun and dinner for two. And you're using this to promote your listings in a creative way as well, right? Yes, that's right. So what we're doing as well is we are going to be uh, hiding a Jeep, a small Jeep in one of our, in all our listing pictures. And if you see the Jeep in those pictures as well, it'll be another chance to submit uh, an entry for the uh, spotthejeep.com. Very, very cool. Yeah. And and how did, first of all, tell us a little bit about uh, your love of Jeeps and, and how long Bjorksman has been in your life and, you know, give us, uh, you know, <laughs> we see it all the time in the parking lot here, but uh, give us the spec sheet of your Jeep. Yeah, so a few years back, I, I had bought a different vehicle. It was a, a Dodge Nitro and I had it all wrapped with my all my logos and and I was switching my listings on there. I was doing all kinds of different things. And then um, I got rid of that, got I, a car. I, I got to pause you for a second. You're putting your listings on the Dodge Nitro? Yes. So I had it wrapped uh, from a local company here in Ottawa. And then the back windows had a spot to put my listings. <laughs> so every month I would switch those listings up so that when people would see my vehicle, they would also see my listings that were for sale. So would you have to go and get it the, the back window rewrapped, or did you just have something that you stuck on the inside? No, it was a rewrap of the of the back the two side windows. So the design of the of the nitro had like a computer screen, right? And then it showcased my listing uh, on there. Right. How long ago was that? Because that's pretty cutting edge. That was probably in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Okay. Okay. So that was uh, that was a few years back. Yeah. 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 And I had the same thing over there. I did uh, spotthenitro.com, and same kind of thing because it was wrapped. It was fully wrapped. My genreshi.com, everywhere. It was really you couldn't couldn't not miss notice it. it. Yeah. So yeah. that that was a big a big part of, of my branding and getting my name out there on my website. So it was right. fun. It was fun back then too. Yeah. Yeah. And your love of your love of the Jeep and of uh, you know off roading etc. When did that start, and, and uh, what does that look like? So it probably started about four or five years ago. I've always, always loved Jeeps. Uh, I always looked at them, and when I bought the Nitro, I was like, oh, I should have bought a Jeep. And But anyways, I was happy with the Nitro. But uh, just about four years ago, I uh, decided to take the plunge, get rid of my BMW, your typical realtor car. Uh, bought a Jeep, uh, totally fell in love with it, started going off-roading here and there. And then just two years ago, uh, I decided to, well, we went to uh, Halifax for uh, our son's um, uh, anniversary, or not anniversary, but uh, his um, engagement. Cool. So I had rented a little Toyota Camry. It's like, that's going to be fine. But when I got to the airport, I saw a Jeep, the new Jeep, the new model in the, uh, in the parking lot. So I said, hey, let's give the new Jeep a try. Okay. So we had our big upgrade. Big upgrade from, uh, from the 2017. And when I came back, within two weeks, I had ordered my brand new Bjorkman, the Jeep, same color, the red. It's got to be the KW red. And uh, I've just been slowly upgrading it a little bit here, a little bit there. Very, very cool. So, lots very of fun. Cool. As I saw on uh, your social media, you were uh, out off-roading this past weekend, was it? Yes. So yeah. a couple of guys, we just decided to, you know, just three of us, we were good friends. We've been friends for quite a few years. And then they just recently got two Gladiators, which the Jeep truck. 
and we just uh, we just go off road. Like we actually, it's Calabogie, Cal- Ninicalabogie area. Yeah, we had there's some trails there that uh, we go and spend the day and just have a good time. We get wet, we get dirty, we get stuck. We use our winches, and it's just an overall a, an amazing day. Very very cool. So how important do you think? It is that the brand really represents who, who you are. Like you're not just driving around a city jeep, putting it out. Like you actually do the off roading. You you've you know you've lifted it. You've put different tires on it. You 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 could talk jeep to people. Yes. Right? So it's not just a, what they call a mall crawler that it looks like a jeep. It looks like I take it off road, but if you look underneath the jeep, you'll notice that there's. There's a few good scratches. <laughs> and, so. and so you took, you, you didn't go with a trying to brand based off of, oh, this would be interesting. People will see this. It'll be a good branding thing. You went with something that it's true to you. was true to you that you loved, and then you took that and made it into your branding. Oh, 100%. I mean, it, it's one of those things that, that I just totally enjoy taking the Jeep off-road, and it just, it just, it's kind of an extension of what I do. Right? It's not just the show of, you know, the big Jeep with the big tires and, you know, the two and a half inch lift and the steel bumpers and all that kind of stuff. It really is, you know, I, I jump in a Jeep and I totally enjoy driving it, you know, back and forth to work. But I look forward to the weekends that I can actually go out and, uh, and enjoy it. And I, and I imagine that makes <laughs> makes uh, your marketing through your branding a little bit easier because you're not having to, you're, you get to market what you love. You're, you're, you're going to be doing it anyway, That's but right. now it becomes part of your marketing as well. That's right. It's, it's basically like an extension. It's, it's me, right? It's not like, Oh, look at me. I've got a nice big car. It's, it's just, you know, very simple, very easygoing. That's part of, of my business model, who I am. And I just, I enjoy it. I have a good time and it's not pretentious. No, not at all. But I don't know. It's it's kind of big and loud, and that's not you, Jean. So no, no, it, it definitely kidding. isn't big and loud. It's, it's it's big and tall. It's big and tall, but that's not right. loud yet. But keep an eye out maybe next year. Uh, but there's always room to improve and uh, upgrade the Jeep and uh, have a good time. So. You know, the marketing experts these days are always talking about showing parts of yourself and being authentic, and people can tell when things aren't authentic, and that's how you lose people, especially in social media. So it's it's really good for things not to look too perfect and not to to um, be a show. It's really about letting people in on it as to who you are, and then you're going to also attract like-minded people who you like to work with, etc. How much of your branding um have you focused on figuring out who your target market is like who's your clientele and and how you're trying to appeal to to um you know your your actual database and the people that you're used to working with have you put much thought into that or because uh, i know you i was asking i was quizzing you on this earlier and mm-hmm. and you don't really feel like you've tapped into the the off-market jeep crowd yet one they're all out way far west and you okay. service the east so that's yeah. a challenge but uh mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's more like casual, easygoing, uh, just you know your day to day average person just having a good time, and and that there's it it just makes it simple. It's not a complicated thing. If you you know if you meet me, we will talk business, we'll talk jeeps, we'll talk about having fun, but it's more about who I really am. Mm-hmm. It's not you know driving a big fancy car and and things like that. It's more about just being down to earth, easygoing, simple, and not uh, not complicated. 
You're the Jeep guy. You're the Jeep I'm guy. I'm the Jeep guy, yeah. <laughs> and one of the funny things is that somebody here, just about a, uh, two, three weeks ago, uh, what, he was doing some work in the uh, back He was installing, uh, installing TVs That's for right. our Zoom. Yeah. And, and he said to uh, Kendra in our office, he said to her, he says, uh, yeah, he says, I used an agent. I forget his name, but I just remember he was driving a red Jeep. <laughs> and, and that's what it was. It was just you the know, Jeep guy. Yeah. The Jeep guy, right? So we have a good time. We have fun. He he asked me the same question. Like he was he was asking like every second person he came into the office is is the Jeep guy here somewhere? The Jeep guy? The Jeep guy? Yeah. yeah so yeah. yeah, lots of fun. It make it makes you recognizable without people having to remember your name. I mean, Jean's a difficult name to remember. So it is. <laughs> it's if, just if you have a hard time. If you're Siri, you just can't say Jean. Yeah. You have to say Jean, but. Uh, it all works out. But it, 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 having having a distinguishing feature such as the Jeep guy, it's something that'll stick in somebody's head 10 years down the line because while they might not think about real estate for 10 years, so they might not mm-hmm. have your name immediately in your mind, but they know. It's like, oh, what was his name? He drove the Jeep. Yeah. Uh, realtor, Jeep. You pop right up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it'll be, uh, you'll be able to find me fairly easily. So, like, if we were to view in Ottawa some of the, the best brands out there, there's usually just something measurable that's true and authentic to that person. And obviously, like yourself, um, you know, has had a lot of success in the industry, whether they come kind of hand in hand or are built on each other. They're certainly complementary. But you have, like, the guy with the dog or... Or um, the the silhouette of the hat for our, our famous Canada uh, colleague, um, you know. There's there's lots of really excellent brands out there in the industry, and they're typically tied to, you know, what I said before. Do you guys have any favorites? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I ha- I have favorites. Of agents that I like and favorites of agents I don't like. <laughs> they're, they're well, I think we should leave <laughs> half of that out I, and off the podcast, or at least yeah. certainly don't say which ones are which, no, no. right? But it's but it's still it's like there there's times where it's like oh there's a, an agent that I really like dealing with, and it's like but oh, what's their name? What's their name? Oh, and then you remember their branding. It's like the the Jeep or something like that, or oh the hat. I I, I he's got it. He's got the big hat on his signs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's quite a few that you can just pick out based off of off of their branding. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a lot that are missing out on that that marketing because there's a lot of agents who aren't branding themselves in that way. Yeah, and, and sometimes they're really just branding. Um, you know, the, their brand is is you know a certain thing about how they treat their clientele or a certain genuine feel or a certain you know i mean it's not necessarily i'm not going to call it gimmicky you mm-hmm. know what i mean I, I don't i don't consider it to be gimmicky but um maybe it's a gimmicky when it i would define gimmicky as when it's less authentic and it's not true to that person yeah. and it's it's just tr- gimmicky um, is buying a jeep but not really living the jeep lifestyle you don't wave at other people driving jeeps you, ju- you don't go out off-roading yeah. you just bought the jeep because it stands out in a parking lot mm-hmm. that would be gimmicky yeah but living the life that, that's that's brand that's a that's your brand at that point yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have uh any other kind of you know tips that you feel would have led to your success over the years I, don't, I think to me, it's it's just being who you are. Um, like like Ted was saying just a minute, a second ago, 
it's you know you you see people and it's like what do they stand for what's their branding i think to me is just being very genuine uh treating people like i want to be treated and just generally caring for people right the the jeep is definitely you know a part of what i do and you know what i enjoy doing you know on the weekends and sometimes during the week but it's just basically making sure that your clients always come first right your progression in the past 20 years, you'd say it's always been pretty, pretty steady, like a bit like of a going up the stairs, you know, uh, steady, steady growth has been up and down. Have there been a few moments where you had some major ahas along your career? Anything stand out at all? Uh, it's been pretty steady. I mean, I've always been very busy. Um, one of the things that I do that I've always 99% of the time had is having an admin to help me and support with everything that we do. Because doing it all on your own is very difficult, uh, especially if you want to push yourself out there on the social medias. Because, you know, how can you be in so many different places? You know, I'm the face of my business, but there is, you know, three people, four people behind me that are constantly working and helping me and pushing everything that we're doing. So servicing that level of clientele, but while maintaining a strong brand, et cetera, like you can't really, That's it's right. harder to do both. How much has social media changed things for you? I mean, you you were here prior to really that being the main source of marketing. You, you, you know, then saw social media, like the nitro days, you wouldn't have marketed the same, probably quite the same way on the various social media platforms. They were, they were there, I guess. So maybe you did. Um, but the reach that we have now and how that affects branding, do you have any, any thoughts on that that you could share? I think one of the big things is, you know, being out there, again, the authenticity to be able to be who you are. The social media definitely has helped, you know, pushing ourselves out there to be, to be able to be seen a little bit more. I mean, the, the Nitro was, you know, kind of beginning of social media where things were starting to grow. Um, but we just keep adding to what we do. It's not all of a sudden like, you know, I'm a brand new agent and I want to be on every social media out there. Pick one or two, you know, work on those. Do it well. Do it well as opposed to being on everything, right? You see, and because there's always going to be a new social media platform that, you know, TikTok is TikTok. the new thing right now, right? Yeah. I'm on there. I'm not doing anything right now just because I, I just focus more on my Facebook, my Instagram, my YouTube this is where, you know, I'm comfortable with, I enjoy it, and it's it's not a chore. Yeah, and it's probably where your target market is. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, was, I mean, you, you work with a builder out in Rockland, That's and great. Uh, a great builder out in Rockland, you have an amazing relationship that you've nurtured over a long time. Was that... Um, kind of not a turning point in your career because that's something you would have built up and gotten because of your reputation and all that stuff but um, how did that influence your business I think the builder is I mean definitely we've been working together for about 15 years uh, he, it's a great client it's a great contract to have it's uh, it keeps me very busy but again it, it helps me systemize the things that we do uh, it's a great he's a great builder you know great product great quality but it's it, it helps you be able to have specific systems that will make your life a lot simpler because if you're you know disorganized you have things all over the place you're going to be running around quite a bit right so systemization of everything that we do is definitely key in our business so as a rookie podcaster ted and you, you i'm leaning on you for your experience there's been three opportunities for jean in particular to plug people in his life and we've avoided giving actual names is that a good thing or should we be 
you know, plugging his guy who wrapped his vehicle, his builder. Uh, there was one other one that jumped out at me that I was wondering, why aren't we saying these people's names? What's, I what's mean, it, it politically doesn't hurt correct? To put, it doesn't hurt to, to plug their names if you're saying good things. <laughs> uh, if you're, if you're going to be saying bad things about people, you usually want to leave their names out. Uh, but yeah, if you're, if you're going to be saying good things, you're welcome to, to plug their name. Um, unless you want to be charging them for mentions. <laughs> <laughs> I'll reach out to them, see if I can get some sponsors and things like that. But no, I mean, the vehicle wrap, uh, I got it done by K6 Media, local guy. He's a friend of mine. Uh, they do amazing work. You know, the quality is there. Uh, they're not the cheapest in town, but, you know, you, you get what you pay for, right? To me, it's like you'll pay a little extra, but you're going to get the quality. Like I knew, I knew that, you know, when I was switching my listings up every month, like he was expecting me, I would all I had to do is send him the, the picture of the listing. I'd be there 10, 15 minutes. I was in and out, right? So definitely, you know, highly recommended. It would it would have to be if you're going to go back every month or so yeah, to put the new right. listings on. Yeah, so mm-hmm. he's clearly good at what he did. Yeah, definitely. and reasonable. Yeah. So, and your builder? Yeah, builder is Siash uh, Climat Construction from Hawkesbury. Um, again, great builder. The quality is there. The it, it's just such a joy to work with them. We have a great team. Uh, the owner is, you know, uh, very, very pleasant to work with. He knows his stuff. He knows his construction. Uh, he's always looking to improve his product. If you look at the, the first townhouses we sold in Rockland to the ones we're selling now, the quality or the changes are tremendous. Like he always, every time we start a new project, he will always improve what he delivers. Again, looking out after the customer. Right. If, if you say, look, this is what we've been building for the past, you know, 20 years, why change it? He improves, you know, makes it better, better for, for the looks and also for the clients. And uh, tell us about Rockland and why someone should live in Rockland. I mean, Rockland is a great little town. Uh, it's, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was a little bit smaller. But with the growth of, of the city, um, there's so much there now, like you're, you're, Staples are there, your Walmart, your Canadian Tire, you have great restaurants. It's a great drive, a nice drive to come into town. All on the water. All on the water. Um, yeah, it's a two-lane highway that they've been supposed to be expanding that for since years I was a years. kid. Uh, but again, it's just, you know, traffic. To me, I prefer the east end of the city just because, yes, there's only two-lane highway, but you're, you keep moving, mm-hmm. right? When you're going out to the west end, it's, you know, a lot more lanes lot more vehicles mm-hmm. so rockland great town once you're there everything is there right have you do you feel like there's been a big uh bump and desire to be in rockland with covid and people working from home and, and needing to uh, get into the city less i think you'll see that like people are you know depending on who you talk to people are moving out to the country a little bit more so you don't have to commute maybe as much you know maybe i'll have to go into you know to town only twice a week as opposed to five times a week Right. So I think it's it's definitely, you know, just because of, of what you can get out there for the amount of money you would pay in Ottawa, you're getting a lot more, a lot more bang for your dollar. So if people wanted more information about uh, living in Rockland and buying from your builder, uh, should they go to jeanrichard.com or jeanrichet.com? Uh, they'll, they'll reach both uh, the same place. <laughs> <laughs> so keep your eyes out for uh, a red Jeep. Uh, the Jeep's name for you insiders is Bjorkman, and uh, you can uh, have a chance to win dinner for two at spotthejeep.com. And Jean will be back with us in a few minutes to tell us a fun story.
You should have more than one with how long you've been in business. All right. So that was a pretty informative and I think it went pretty well, that interview for our first one. Yeah. Yeah. Jean's always easy to talk to and he's just such a genuine, authentic, authentic person in the first place. And, you know, you, you talk to him about his Jeep and his ears, his, his smile grows from ear yeah, to ear. You it's know? not hard to, to get Jean talking whenever the topic is Jeeps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So... You know, uh, he he basically, it's very clear that how authentic it is and how true it is to him, and, and um, he's showing a, a part of him to the, the market and the clientele. Um, what's, what's interesting and what I kind of wanted, was hoping to be able to explore a little bit even more with him was kind of how he got to that and um, how much he considers what his, what his target market is. Um, you know, I, I one of my class... I used to do this quite a bit. I had a company called Unique Home Sites, and I helped them develop uh, websites and stuff. And, you know, we were always kind of trying to find something that was very memorable, but we were always focusing on what the, the, the target market is, as who they were going after, and then something that was, you know, kind of very, very true and authentic to them. So, um, you know, when I started my, my career 15 years ago, um, it was the house that Jack, I was in there with my father. My father was also a relatively new realtor at the time. My mother was an elementary school teacher. We were going after Barhaven and we were going after families. Um, and so we kind of had a, I wouldn't say cartoonish, but a little bit, you know, the house that Jack built or the house that Jack sold, the house that Jack listed, et cetera, kind of a, of a brand. And going after families was very family oriented. It was, it was my father's name as the, as the lead at the time. And uh, it, w- it went very, very well. And then my dad um, moved to Burlington, and we went through the exact same exercise. Me being out of business school, I was, I was kind of the, the, uh, the person who was leading these conversations. And, and we discussed his target market, and he wanted to be luxury market, high-end, um, the things that, that he would focus on is he loves tech, um, he loves technology, so it was, you know, high-end homes, luxury living, technology, um, and then um, if you know my dad, you know that his hands-down favorite series of movies, et cetera, is James Bond, and he was known for always holding client appreciation events that were the movies. You go down into my dad's basement, and he, my brother, year after year, was giving my dad posters of all the old James Bond movies um, that was all up on his wall. So he became agentjack.ca, and it's all, um, if you look at Jack Willette uh, on YouTube and, and uh, look for Agent Jack, there's a really funny trailer with him walking in the opening scenes of James Bond and turning, and instead of having the gun in his hand, he's got keys. And he's, he's got billboards that say license to sell and all that stuff. And it's, it's gimmicky, or it's the closest thing to being gimmicky if you didn't know my dad and, and know how much he loves James Bond and, and he could master any trivia around it, et cetera. Um, but it, it's truly authentic, and when you know them, how authentic it is. And uh, there's one other quick story here about us walking into the Burlington Auto Park, and one of the salespeople kind of whacking my, whacking the guy beside him, and pointing at my dad, and rushing over to my dad and saying, "Agent Jack, my four-year-old's your biggest fan," <laughs> and me being the branding guy beside my dad, and and me pushing him to to show that Agent Jack, James Bond fan side of himself, was beaming with pride. 
that uh, that our brand was memorable and 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 people knew him from you know from around the industry. After a fairly short time, having moved to Burlington too, so um, that's the difference between gimmicky and genuine. Is like whenever whenever it's real, it just it doesn't feel gimmicky. Yeah, people just they get it. Yeah, and people you know will will nicely laugh at him a little bit because ha 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 James Bond, you know what I mean? But yet he's laughing at himself along yeah, it, with it. it. He, he, it's fun. He's, he's not, it's not arrogant. It's he's not, in on the joke. He's like, in on the joke and he feels a little sheepish about it to become frank, you know, to be quite frank. Yeah, it's, it's quite cute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you're saying, whenever, when you're trying to market something, I, my, my wife is in marketing and she's always pushing me to do more marketing and I just, I'm not, I'm not a marketing person. It's not, it's not in me to just try to sell myself. It's something that you struggle I, with a little bit. Yeah, I, I can sell, I, I can, I can sell products. I can sell houses. I can sell other people uh, to. But like when it comes to myself, I just, I've always had trouble. So my wife realized what I needed to mar- to be able to do marketing is to use something that I have a passion for and something that I really like. And Which use is. that for my branding and for my marketing. And for me, it's photography and video. Whenever I was growing up, I wanted to... I, when I was growing up, my one of my best friends and I, we would make movies, movies. with like... And like, they were all stupid. And like, we, I wish we still had them. Oh, like, they're probably great. Yeah. If, if, we, if we would have been a little bit younger and we would have grown up in the time of YouTube, we would have been Famous. all over YouTube. But... Uh, we weren't. We were in time of little cassette tapes that you needed another tape to put. Right. But, uh, but yeah, so because I've always had that love of video and photos, like now my marketing is based off, like when I'm, when I'm out around town, I bring my camera with me. I'll take pictures. I'll put my drone up in the sky, take pictures with the drone or some video. Um, I, and the thing about it too, like, like for Jean, he, he's investing in a Jeep. Well, it's something that he's passionate about and he loves, but it's also uh, part of his business. Yeah. So when when you're figuring out where to spend your money, it's a lot easier to spend money on marketing whenever it's also something that you're passionate about and that you like. Yeah. Um, so you're buying and camera, podcast equipment, equipment, twisting my arm to be a, a co-host in a podcast. Exactly. It's always easier when it's something that you... you it's like, I would do it anyway. I would buy all this equipment anyway. I'm sure my wife would have a lot more issue with me spending this much money on equipment if it wasn't for business, though. And, and it's a write-off and, now, too. And, and it's a write-off as well, which is always a plus. Whenever, whenever your toys can also be your business and they can improve your business, it's excellent because, yeah, it's a, it's a write-off and your marketing is now something that you love. So I want to go out and take pictures anyway. Now... I have an excuse to go and do it that I have to do it. Yeah. I need to, I need to be posting something on Instagram. I need to, I need to be getting new drone shots for whatever it is. And whenever I go to a a listing, I'm like, well, something that I bring is I do my own photography and I do my own drone shots. So that means if there's something that you wanted captured that wasn't captured in the initial thing, it's, I don't have to bring a photographer out again. I don't have to schedule another time. I can go to my car and grab my drone and take another drone shot right there if everything is prepared, of course. Yeah. Well, and you're going to attract like-minded clients. You're going to exactly. attract clients who are also interested in photography. You're going to want primo photos, going to want drone photography to 
uh, show off their home. If you haven't seen some of uh, Ted's listings, like he had the drone fly right into a condo, you know, from go around the condo and then come pretty much right in. It's right very, to the balcony, very cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just uh, it's something that I enjoy doing, and like you said, it, it attracts. It not only attracts people who are also into photography and and, and that, but it also attracts people who just want to be able to show their uh, their places best. I I have somebody who, not even a client, it's an old family friend, but because they've seen my listings and my drone shots and everything like that. They want me to come and do a drone shot of their house for just as a keepsake. Yeah. And then down the line, if they want to sell, it's there. Um, I, I lived in a condo downtown. I went there when I first got the drone. I went and took a bunch of shots and uh, in the summer, and it was a beautiful day, and I got a, r- a lot of really nice shots. And then um, when I was listing a condo there, it was in the middle of the winter. And um, you had all those shots already? I had drone shots from the summer to show how nice of a nature area it is um, without it being covered in snow. I mean, I had ones with snow as well because that's what it was at the time. So I wonder if it would be smart for you to go around and do kind of that of an idea at the perfect times around a whole bunch of different condos, neighborhoods, et cetera. So you always have that. And so, and that's what one of the things I try to do is I try to just go out whenever I have some spare time, I'll try to go out. Maybe I'll go to a coffee shop downtown, get a coffee, then I'll take the drone up in the sky and get some nice shots. I, like I, I have shots of Parliament. I have shots of the market. I have like basically I'm also building B-roll for yep. whenever I'm making a video. And if I if I need to if I want to highlight its proximity to the market, I've got that there. And I've got that because it's something I enjoy doing. So it's beneficial for listings. It's beneficial for marketing, and it's something that I love. So it's Offensive. easy to do. Yeah. So if you are looking to create a brand, I think our, our what we've learned here today is you need to sit down and you need to ask yourself um, who's the target market of the people that you are trying to appeal with, appeal with and um, try to put them in, in groups of, of kind of like-minded groups. So then you're, you know, like, what are they, where are they looking, uh, what are they thinking, what's going to appeal to that group, et cetera. So you're going to try to and define them and then look at yourself and what are you passionate about? What kind of defines you? Da, da, da. And then and then you're looking for intersections, right? Yeah. And, and then you're looking for something fun and authentic um, about yourself that will also appeal to, to that group that is memorable. And then you just need to be brave after that, right? It's uh, probably the biggest hurdle is <laughs> just getting brave. out there and putting it out. You know, uh, Brené Brown would say being vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But let's uh, wrap this up today with a story from Jean. Uh, yeah, an, 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 an interesting story from Jean. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around with us. We're back with Jean. We're going to be ending every podcast with a fun or interesting story of the ups and downs of the real estate world. And you're going to be glad you stuck around for this one. Jean's got a good story for us. Yeah. So I would maybe say that it's more of an interesting than a funny one. Yeah. It's not funny. (laughs) It's uh, yeah, it was quite uh, interesting. So we have this listing in the East of the city in the East end of the city. And then I was partnered up with a, a female agent and she was basically taking care of the listing. So she received an offer on a, Saturday afternoon, she says, you know, she gives me a call. She goes, what do I do? I don't really want to go there on my own. 
you know, it's dark, it's, it's late, it's like I, I don't feel comfortable. I said, well, I said, just give the guy a call. Tell him that you'll be there tomorrow on Sunday at 12 noon. It was a good idea. So she gives him a call. She has an offer. She's going to show up on Sunday at 12 noon. 12 noon shows up. She goes knocking on the door, ringing the bell. She's calling him. No answer. No, nothing from this guy. She's looking inside the house and she's looking through the windows and trying to listen. And there's a TV blaring somewhere, but nobody's coming to the door. I said, well, there's nothing you can do. You just have to kind of wait till he calls you back. And the irrevocable time was at 6 o'clock on Sunday night. So we got to be careful here. Irrevocable is when the offer expires for non-agents that are listening. And this is putting you in a pickle because the other agent's going to be calling you, how come you're not presented my offer? How come, you know, that's where the urgency lies. That's why she's poking her head in people's, in this guy's window, just for that's the record. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's funny because the agent, the other agent that brought the offer was was calling her, the agent, my agent, and then she was just like, you know, how come you haven't presented it? What's going on? How where's the where's your client? You know, how come you can't get a hold of your client? It's like, look, he's he's not around. We can't communicate with him. So, we waited till the next day on Monday. So I said, she says she comes into the office. Goes, you want to come with me? I just don't feel comfortable, you know, going there again alone. So I said, yeah. I said I'll I'll pop in. So we leave the office. We're driving up, and there's a parking lot with a policeman in the parking lot. So I said, uh, you know, jokingly, I said. If something happens, at least, you know, the cops are right there. So we get to the house, we knock on the door, we're looking inside, we can still see the coffee machine in the same spot it was before. We see the garbage, there's a garbage bag on the floor, we're looking inside through all the windows. We look inside the garage, his car is still there. You're investigators. So we're investigating because this deal is dead. So we decided to open the door, call out his, calling out his name, seeing if he, you know, he might be there doing something. So the, I decided to go up the stairs. It's a split level. So I go up a couple of stairs and, and I can hear the TV in the, the bedroom. Okay. So I'm walking up slowly, wanting to see, you know, I didn't want to see a big mess or anything. So I look in there and I can see his feet under the covers. I was like, okay, he's probably just sleeping. But then it's like, I don't want to wake him up because then I'm in his house and yeah. maybe, I don't know, he's not going to be happy. So I kind of peek in and I see him just lying there with his hands clutching his chest, and he is not moving. Non-responsive. Non-responsive whatsoever. I was like, oh, he must be he must be dead. So I go back down. I said, well, let's call 911. So we call 911, and the operator says, um, you know, can you go touch him to make sure he's dead? I was like, I'm not touching him. <laughs> but she decided to go and oh, touch him. Oh, she's brave. She's, she's braver, braver than you. Than she I said, was. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so she touched him, and then, uh, the, you know, he's, he cold, was, he's cold, he's stiff. He's definitely not signing that paperwork. And then a few minutes later, the, the police show up, and they're starting to invest, asking us, what are we doing in the house? Right? This is our for sale sign. We have the lockbox. This is how we got in. And then it was just, it was just kind of a very strange position to be in because the cops were there, and yep. there's this dead body in in his bedroom. And then I think what made it worse is that the other agent that brought the offer said to our agent, "Had you gone on Saturday, oh good God, we would have had a deal." <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, feel free to silently text me that name because I won't be inviting him to KW. But anyway. Um, all right. So we, we got 
80, you know, 90% through that story. And then we decided, yes, we were going to put that on air. And, and that last 10% really made us feel like realtors are scum. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you edit it? Yeah. No, no. I think it's worth staying in it's because that's, that's the life of the realtor. And that's a very good story. I mean, you talk to any realtor for 5, 10, 15 minutes and ask them what's the craziest thing that's happened to them in the industry. And you get doozies of stories and that's our hope is to end each podcast with a with a doozy sometimes fun sometimes dramatic sometimes just wow this is a crazy business i mean anything can happen in this business and sometimes it it does yeah <laughs> yeah 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 right thank you very much sean yeah it was my pleasure and uh feel free to reach out to me i'm always available i'm an open book sounds good thank you very, much. very much until next time <laughs>